0: Dahlia, it's 9.30 p.m. <laughs> mm-hmm. on Sunday night. How was your weekend?
1: Yeah, super fun. How was yours?
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is Dahlia Lithwick, Slate's legal correspondent.
1: I felt like I was in labor. Like, I felt <laughs> like it was like a three-day labor from Friday night until Saturday afternoon, except that there was, like, no ice chips. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want the
0: ice chips? It would have made it better, well, like with vodka. with vodka, I think,
1: would have been very nice. <laughs> So was
0: this a good weekend for President Trump?
1: Yeah, I think that there I mean, even, you know, Friday night, even before we knew what we now know on Sunday night, it was a good weekend because his kid wasn't indicted and Jared wasn't indicted. And it felt already by Friday night like maybe Mueller wasn't going to indict anyone else and the whole thing was wrapping up. And I think that, you know, it allowed him he was very quiet, let's be clear. But I think it allowed him to feel like the massive pressure had been released. And then I think it's fair to say that by Sunday afternoon, it was a very good weekend for President Trump. And he tweeted as (laughs) he's called it a complete and total exoneration. So from the beginning, you have
0: told me and everyone else (laughs) not to expect a lot from the end of Robert Mueller's investigation. You've been like, just don't don't get excited about it. Like, don't
1: hype yourself up about it. Is this working out how you thought it would? Kind of. I don't think I was ever saying that Mueller might just punt, which is a little bit of what happened today. But I did say if you're expecting whiz bang fireworks, you know, the president dragged off in cuffs, you know, on the White House lawn, that Mueller was never going to do that. And it was so fanciful to think that we could all just sit back and you know not care about anything because Mueller was going to handle it. And so I, I wasn't deliberately dampening expectations. I was just trying to think through what a lifelong institutional, careful, cautious, minimalist actor would do. And I just didn't think it was going to be like riding in on a white horse with a flaming, you know, sword. (laughs) Not how he rolls. But is this the end? Uh, It's not the end. It is certainly the beginning of a huge fight about seeing the entire report. Now it becomes a political problem. And and I think in a weird way, and I don't purport to speak for Robert Mueller, but I think in a weird way, he wanted it to be a political problem. And part of the reasons he punted, and we don't fully know, and we're not going to know anything until we see the entirety of the report, but at least on the question of obstruction, when he said, you know, could be, maybe yes, maybe no, I'm not going to exonerate, not going to find obstruction. I think one of the things he was saying was, good luck with this, Adam Schiff, Best of luck, Nancy Pelosi, there is a constitutional mechanism to do this, which is impeachment. And uh, so he's like, I got to go, I think that's right.
0: This is Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next today about that Mueller report. We have Dolly Lithwick here. She's going to break down everything you need to know about what's happened now, where it's heading from here. Stay with us. So Friday night we learned Robert Mueller's investigation was over. He's charged a lot of people, but everyone was waiting on this final report. Right. But we didn't get it. We didn't get it. Instead, on Sunday night we got this four-page letter from Attorney General William
1: Barr. What did it say? Well, part of the problem is it's a, a four-page summary of a document that we our hearing reported was hundreds of pages long, and so you know the, the very best four-page summary I don't think can sweep in like all the levels of detail that we needed to see. But I think that the upshot of the four-page summary is there are two things. One is the Russia stuff. One is the obstruction stuff. On the Russia piece, nobody in the Trump transition or, or um, campaign did anything to foster or foment you know, the, the Russian misconduct. Mueller just couldn't find enough to say that somebody in Trump's orbit Cooperate. So he stipulates there's no doubt that the Russians hacked. There's no uh, doubt that the Russians like influenced the election. And that's
0: what stood out to me. It was like, America, Russia did try to interfere in the election. We just couldn't nail it down that the presidential campaign was like hooked in with co-
1: cooperated with it. That, right. that it's entirely possible that they just enjoyed it right. <laughs> and that not only that, but they called for it, right? I mean, one of the the earlier Mueller pleadings said the day that Trump said Russia, if you're listening, was the day that the, the Russian hack happened. So he, I don't think, has ever said that they didn't thoroughly delight in this and that the timing wasn't hinky. But yeah, he couldn't find a person in Trump's world that cooperated. But this four-page letter, it
0: only briefly quotes from the Mueller report. It doesn't say much about what's in there. I mean, it gives broad brushstrokes.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, this is it's an incredible distillation of reams and reams and reams, like all that information. And I think when you get to the second part, Mary, which is the obstruction part, where he actually quotes Mueller saying this is there's I'm not exonerating him. Right. Like there is enough in here that I will not exonerate him. That's almost the, the interesting tweak here is that to say, well, Mueller wouldn't exonerate him. So I did. So hmm. Rod Rosenstein and I got together and said, we're, we're clear. That's, I think, what a lot of people are, are, are stuck on so that even if you can agree, Mueller couldn't make the case. Right. He couldn't tag Don Jr., but what what now? You know, you're you're saying Mueller told us he was not making a decision and you just sat there and read hundreds of pages, you and Rod Rosenstein, and you just decided he's off the hook.
0: So here's what we do know. We know that the special counsel isn't going to be bringing more charges against mm-hmm. anyone, including President Trump, including his kids. We know that the Mueller report basically confirms Russia interfered in the 2016 presidential election, but just not that presidential campaign or any presidential campaign actively colluded on that. And then we know that Mueller made this really interesting decision where he decided not to pursue anything against the president of the United States when it came to obstruction of justice. And he laid out the case for and against those kinds of charges and sort of said, "I I leave it to you to decide. I won't decide. And he very plainly said this does not exonerate the president. But then you have William Barr and Rod Rosenstein coming in and saying, well, we decided over the last 48 hours we're not going to
1: move forward with this. What do you think when you hear that? Well, I think a couple things. One is circle back to. Barr's audition memo, right, where he said, I'm just telling you as a matter of law, the president cannot be tagged for obstruction, right? So so this part- is a
0: memo that he sent in, what, July yeah, or something?
1: Yeah, this summer where he, you know, said it's not appropriate to even be examining this because the president is well within, you know, and there's a constitutional argument that, you know, he is within his rights to fire anyone at any time. And so this is not even an appropriate line of inquiry.
0: And it was this mysterious thing at the time because he was a former attorney
1: general sort of just right. sending just, a memo. A little, a little gratis legal work. Right. So so that's the first thing. It, it it feels as though he promised this and then he delivered it and I think that's what is a little distressing. Uh, the other thing is and I would commend to folks there's a great David Lurie piece up uh, that went up in Slate on Sunday night that essentially said he's making a false statement of fact because what he's saying is because the underlying underlying crime wasn't proven, you cannot obstruct. So he's essentially saying you can't, we're, we're, he's off the hook for obstruction because he didn't do the predicate thing that he's been tagged for.
0: Because and, there was no collusion, he exactly. can't have obstructed justice. Exactly. But there are lots of examples right. from the legal world where people have been pursued for obstruction
1: of justice for crimes they didn't commit. Right. And, and and more importantly, Mary, I think the most important thing, and this is Lurie's argument, and I actually think this is the New York Times up ed's argument, if you can't ever be tagged for obstruction if you can't prove the underlying crime. Everyone will have incentive to obstruct, right? <laughs> because the reason to obstruct and to you know tamper with witnesses and threaten witnesses is because the the incentive to obstruct justice goes way, 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 way up because you're going to try to block the finding that. There's guilt in the predicate crime. So it makes no sense. And what Lurie is saying is no prosecutor could function in that world where the incentives to obstruct are so very high.
0: It did really stand out to me when I saw how Robert Mueller was equivocating and was saying, I don't exonerate, I don't not exonerate. How can you do that? How can you even begin to sort of approach that case without getting any kind of testimony from the president himself.
1: And CNN Tonight reported that there were really robust debates between the special counsel's office and folks at the Justice Department. They really wanted to subpoena him, and the decision was taken not to. But
0: that raises all kinds of questions, where it's like there are debates between the DOJ and the special counsel's office, and the decision was taken, which makes it sound like it just— happened. But of
1: course, there are power and politics at play there. And there's also law. I think at the end of the day, I hate to say it, but part of this is inflected by we can't indict a sitting president. Right. Like it's not worth it to have this hugely dramatic, you know, we're going to drag him in against his will and force him to talk. And we can't effectuate the outcome we want anyway. And that's a piece of it. I think we don't know. Why can't we? Why can't we indict a sitting president? <laughs> well, that's a whole fight that's been going on for a long time because there's one, you know, Office of Legal Counsel statement that says this is what we don't do. And it whether it has the force of law, I mean, we've been fighting about this for two years, but we don't know what force it has. We simply know that if you expected Mueller to, in the face of that, say, eh, screw it, I'm going to indict him anyway, that's That was never going to happen. And so I think. But it sounds
0: like there's like a dusty room at the DOJ where they have a bunch of books and here's a
1: a rule, but it's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Constitution. But I think, again, we forget that part of the problem with investing all of our hope in law and lawyers and the Justice Department is that these are all small-c conservative entities. These are not entity. This is not Cirque du Soleil, man. Like, they do not <laughs> twist themselves into pretzels to give us the outcomes that we want. They follow rules. And if there is guidance that says, by and large, we think it's a really bad idea to indict a sitting president, that's what they're going to tend to fall back on. But what's sort of upsetting
0: about what you're saying is that is the notion of we won't even try because we're not even talking about indicting a sitting president. We're just talking about taking testimony from him. And we took testimony from Clinton, you know, during the star times. And it seems crazy that the idea would be out there that, well, we just can't do that because we would run the risk of then maybe having to indict him and we can't do that. And
1: it seems like a lot of holding ourselves back. Right. And a lot of the thinking around why Mueller's conclusions were as conservative as they were, were because of that, right? Like you work back from, well, if you just can't, then you just don't do any of this other stuff. And that's what you're saying. That's really incredibly frustrating. I think the better question, if I were to reframe slightly, is how does Barr without Taking testimony from the president, arrive at a conclusion that Mueller can't arrive at, right? Like Mueller in forty eight hours. Mueller says, "I don't know. I can't exculpate him. I'm not sure what happened." And then Barr again didn't sit down and interview the president on the record, but he's like, "I feel that I can. I feel confident that I can." So that's almost more staggering to me. Not that Mueller didn't force the president to sit down uh, for an interview that he refused to sit down for, but that Barr didn't think that was necessary in order to come to the conclusion he came to. That's amazing. Stay with us. Dolly and I
0: are going to be right back. This episode is brought to you by SAP. The other thing I noticed when I was reading William Barr's letter about obstruction was that he has this line where he says he looked at a number of actions by the president, most of which have been the subject of public reporting. And it kind of lays out this idea in your mind, like most of which. So I may not know about all of these events that took place that may have constituted obstruction. And they're probably in
1: this report, which, by the way, I'm not reading right now. Right, right. No, it's total win-win for the president, right? Because, first of all, it looks as though Barr is saying, like, such an inordinate amount of this obstruction happens in plain view, right? Like, he turns around and tells Lester Holt, like, dude, I'm totally obstructing right now. And so that he's off the hook for that because that happened in plain view. But the stuff that happened that I'm not telling you about, you're never going to get to see and that's like just such a win-win, right? for for the president because it 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 both says he can't really have obstructed if he was bragging about it. But also, there's some stuff that he did that was an, obstructive enough to make Mueller very worried and also you're never going to see it. Is there any reason
0: not to give this full report to Congress? Like it seems to me that congressional democrats are really likely to leak this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that there there's a couple of things. I think that if, in fact, the Trump administration wants to take the posture and Barr wants to take the posture, that we are completely clear here and that there's nothing to see here, they should give it Release to Congress, it. right? Because the more you redact and the more you hold back and the more you summarize, as you said, and spit shine and put in the best possible light, polls show Americans believe Mueller more than they believe Trump. So, good if this completely his hands are totally clean and everyone's hands are clean. I think that's the reason to give it to Congress. Now, we know that's not going to happen because clearly this was a tough call, at least on the obstruction piece. Don't forget when Congress, when the House starts to look at impeachment, if they do or any of their oversight, they don't have to find a criminal act beyond a reasonable doubt. Like that's a really high standard. All Nadler or Schiff have to find is that something hinky went on. And Schiff hmm. particularly, I think, you know, he's been laser focused when you listen to Adam Schiff for the last year. He keeps saying over and over again, I almost don't care if there's been criminal conduct, if there's been criminal obstruction. I really care that the Russians are like, have their thumbprints all over our, our electoral system. And so I think that it's incredibly important. And again, Schiff um, wrote this op-ed this past week saying. Put all that aside, whether Donald Trump himself did anything wrong or whether Jared did anything wrong, that's part of the sort of narcissism of caring about what Trump did. Adam Schiff is going to say, and I think he's not wrong, I need to see this report for counterintelligence purposes. I need to understand Mm. what the Russians did in 2016, what they're going to do again in 2020, and whether or not somebody colluded with them, Mm. this is going to help me understand how to respond going forward on these questions of Russian interference and Russian hacking. And that's not nothing. I think if you want to put your money on a fight, that's a really good fight to put your money on. If there is some evidence in there that we need to see in order to fix you know, our election system to fix social media, I think I need to see that before 2022. Here's what I was hoping for out of this moment.
0: I was hoping for the report so that it could kind of connect the dots between all of these different indictments and prosecutions. There have been so many of them, and they're not for collusion. They're for tax fraud. They're for, you know, lying. And so to me, I felt like the report was going to be finally this chance to sort of see Mueller and then also see the story. Of this, Do you think we're ever going to
1: get that story? See, see, and now this goes back to where the one place that I, I can sort of say, I told you so. Because <laughs> one of the reasons I kept saying, you know, Mueller isn't going to save us, Mueller isn't going to save us, is that we forget how circumscribed his brief was. All he was allowed to do was first of all, the counterintelligence stuff. You know, is Trump compromised by foreign entities? Is he subject to suasion by entities that we don't know about? That's how this starts. And then it built out a little bit to be crimes around that. and, you know, what what becomes this conversation about collusion or conspiracy. And then this side lane, about obstruction. That's all he was allowed to investigate. And I think that we got so caught up in he's going to do all the Deutsche Bank stuff because he was doing the Deutsche Bank stuff. He's going to do all the, you know, whatever happened with the inaugural committee and all that money, whatever happened with the foundations. I think we wanted a story, right, a Dickens novel that was going to give us every piece of it. That was never his charge. And in some sense, part of the reason he vaporized himself, and this was really the ultimate act of vaporizing himself. By sort of shruggy emoji, like, good good luck, you know, bar you if you want to make a final conclusion. But I think that it's important to recognize he was farming a lot of those questions that you want answered out to prosecutors, you know, in, in other offices around the country and allowing state AGs to go after some of it. I mean, I think he almost by necessity made himself as small as he could. And we could see that in some sense happening, right? Because there was, it was clear Michael Cohen was being handled by another entity. It's clear that the Trump Foundation was being handled by another entity. And we were never going to get the sort of like Old Testament biblical narrative from him. That's just not what he was asked to do. So I think it's important to hive off. But sometimes it doesn't matter if it's what you're asked to do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, look at Ken
0: Starr, right, right? with Lewinsky. (laughs) Like, it wasn't what he was asked to do either, necessarily, but he did it. Right.
1: Right. And Ken Starr, as you saw, you know, wrote this piece saying, boy, you know who needs to be circumspect and really careful? Mueller. (laughs) He just wanted to laugh and be like, really, Ken Starr, you're saying that? But I think that, and this is the part of it that's hard and that I haven't, fully wrap my head around, which is that I think one of the things that Robert Mueller was a little bit reacting to was the endless, you know, fake news, deep state attacks on the Justice Department, attacks on, you know, the lawyers who are working for Mueller. And I think that the president's sort of constant undermining probably helped him say, I have to do as little as possible and still appear to be legitimate because if I do the flaming sword thing and the horseback thing, you know, people in this country are going to revolt. And you know, the best argument I can make for that is Jim Comey's funny op-ed this week, where Jim Comey writes this op-ed in the New York Times and says, you know, I hope that whatever Mueller, you know, does, he just follows the truth. I have no agenda, but also I hope that there's no impeachment because people will think there's a coup. You know, that, that that all those Trump supporters are gonna think that the deep state committed a coup. And I was like, see, that's the problem is if you're disarming, if you're t- giving away your best weapons, your best truth seeking weapons or your best sort of analytical tools to explain what happened because you're afraid that the president's going to go after you and you know fire up his motorcycle riders and whoever he says is going to fire up, you know. Because and- without that, without that person on a white
0: horse with a sword, then this kind of becomes a Rorschach shark test. And we saw that this weekend where we saw even with very little information people reacting very strongly to it, either on the very liberal side sort of upset and sad, and I'm sorry there's not more prosecutions. And on the conservative side, this is victory. This is, you know, full exoneration. You know, you wrote this thing (laughs) that I saw just in our, our private, like, chat channels, where you said this was a perfect metaphor for why we can't have nice things. Why'd you say that?
1: Well, I mean I just, you know, 2 days of Fox News saying complete and total exoneration, no, you know, what, what did Tucker Carlson say? Happy no collusion day, right? Like they had determined this is before we got the bar letter. They had determined already that it had completely been exculpatory and that nothing that had been done for the last 2 years was, you know, to any purpose because the president had done nothing. And I just watched that and I thought, that's amazing. You know, with zero information, literally zero information, other than that the report had been handed over, there was going to be no indictment, and that, you know, Barr didn't have a problem with the decisions that were made. They were doing their complete touchdown dance. And with zero information, we're seeing, as you said, you know, progressives just being like, oh, we totally lost. We lost everything. And I thought, this is such an interesting, natural experiment in where we go. Hmm. And I think that where we go is with zero information for 48 hours, Fox News went to like declaring victory and in the absence of facts, saying the facts mean we win. And in the absence of any facts, many liberals went to the I guess we just lost. And I think that that. I mean, that was the Merrick Garland story, right, which I covered for a year. Like in the absence of any real actual thing happening, one side declares victory, the other side declares defeat. And, you know, there is a way in which you can certainly tell the story that, good, now this is not no longer a legal problem. This is a political problem. Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler and Nancy Pelosi are going to have to extract that document somehow from the Justice Department. And like, good, we'll have a bracing conversation about impeachment, except you know what? Nancy Pelosi says she doesn't want to have a bracing conversation. And so I think there's a way in which it should, to me, it just shows the asymmetry in, I don't know if you want to call it confidence, because confidence seems like a generous word. The asymmetry in just bullshit, I think, might be the better term. So what
0: does all this mean about where we go next? Because we don't have the full report. William Barr has said he theoretically wants to release the full report, but with redactions to protect people. So what does this look like over the course of the next week?
1: Well, two things. I think there is going to be just an all out, you know, scratch your eyes out fight to get the whole report. I think you're going to see. We're already seeing Senate Democrats saying, we're going to subpoena the report, we're going to subpoena Mueller, we're going to... Barr is going to testify. Yeah, we're going to make Barr explain his process. So I think that that's going to happen. And I think then the question is whether there is energy among Democrats to push for that or whether this sort of declaration of defeat will be, you know, such that like, oh, well, you know, we gave it our best like 22-month run and we lost. So I think it's it's in a weird way. You know, the thing that I kept writing every time, you're completely right, I've written that Mueller won't save us peace 100 <laughs> times, Mary. But one of the things I kept sort of writing was like, be the Mueller you want to see in the world. Like, don't expect a hero. You be the hero. You know, get involved, get invested care. I have to say, I think my new hero this weekend is Ariana Grande, right? Who's registering (laughs) voters at her concerts and might be doing more to move the needle than any lawyer ever did. And I think that this is going to have to be, and I, I sound like I'm being fatuous. I'm really not. We kept thinking Mueller would save us. And we kept saying, I think, the moment that we'll hit the streets is when Trump fires Mueller, right? For two years, we've all had these like text alerts. He didn't fire Mueller. So are we going to hit the streets for anything? And I think that the question is, we know so much about so much corruption and so much unfitness and incompetence and self-dealing. So I think the choice is for people to, like, take it on themselves to do something or to, like, hope for the next hero. Dahlia,
0: thank you for laying this all out for me. Mary, thank you for having me. All right, that's the show. I'm Mary Harris. I'm the host of What Next? My producers are Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. If you have feelings about the Mueller report, you should really go to Slate.com. There's a bunch of articles for you there. You can also take it out on the Apple podcast system. Leave us a rating or a review. We love it when you do that. It's awesome. It also helps us get new listeners. We love that even more, frankly. All right. I'm going to talk to you tomorrow.